first service, I was like, I don't know how to do this. Welcome. Oh my gosh, you guys, was that amazing just to worship together? I'm so seriously so blessed to be in this place with all of you. I just want to take a moment to greet the children, Amelia and Mike. <laughs> Actually, I asked um, the biggest kid of them all, Mr. Mike, to just join us for this session for a minute. Um, and we also want to turn around and say hi to all the kids joining us from the tents. Um, I'm actually not sure if there are children in the tent. However, I did see Joe eyeing these. Joe, you're welcome to use one with us. Um, and I think our friend Kyle's out there too. Hi, Kyle. And all the kids watching at home, if you want one of these, you can go to birchridge.org slash kids um, and download and print ones to take sermon notes at home. So for our new family service style, which I'm so excited for, the kids are going to get a sheet just like this to be able to take notes. And so children... I just want to talk about this bit right here, the part that's pointing to an ear. Put on your reading glasses, little boy. It says, listen for these words. Amelia, what's the first word? Entrust. So when Pastor Nate is talking today, we're going to listen for the word entrust from in here, in the tent, and at home. And anytime you hear the word entrust, you could do like a tally mark, or you could circle it, or color it, whatever you want. Just be listening for it. So what does entrust mean, Amelia? Oh, we're using the word trust to describe entrust. Can you think of another way? That is rough. Mr. Mike, help her out. Put him on the spot. Confidence. Okay. So this is how I was thinking um, yesterday when I was making this. I was thinking, Amelia catches a lot of ladybugs, correct? It's like a hobby for her. And every once in a while, she has a ladybug or two, and she needs to go use the restroom or do something I asked her to do. She needs someone to entrust these ladybugs with to care for them while she goes and takes care of her business, right? So, Amelia, in our house, would you give your precious ladybug to your two-year-old brother, Elliot? Do you not care for these things at all? <laughs> Elliot would just squish, squish them, right? Would you give them to the baby? She puts everything in her mouth. So who would you entrust your ladybugs with? I would entrust them with Ryder as well. That's a very good choice, okay? Um, okay, so that's what entrust means. Yeah, you're putting your faith in somebody else, right? Uh, what's the second word there, Mr. Mike? Investment. Investment. Can you describe that? What does that mean to you? exactly what a 10-year-old child would say, to allocate resources, absolutely. Yes, so to invest is to make something grow, right? So you could put your money into like stock market or something or, or a savings account and you could make a little bit back. Or you can invest your time in, in planting a garden and you would get something in return. Okay, does that make sense? Um, last word, Amelia, what's the last one? Excuses. What do excuse, what does excuses mean? Yeah, absolutely. And, and that is exactly the best example from our household. Exactly. All of my children of every age will come up with an excuse when I ask them to do anything. And often it's, can you ask so-and-so? It's not even an excuse, like their first response. Or, do I have to? Or, my legs hurt. Or, I've already done a chore. Or, yada, yada, yada. Right? 
So we understand excuses. Yeah, exactly. So I, I figured kids might understand the word excuses. That doesn't need as much explanation as investment, probably. Okay, so kids are going to listen along as Pastor Nate preaches um, and use your colored pencils. I think that Mr. Mike's already started his, actually, to, <laughs> fill, in, to fill in every blank that you can and hopefully to take this home with you afterwards to discuss with your family, okay? And when you leave, leave the clipboards with me, please, or I can only do this one week. Also, if you get very bored, Mr. Mike, you can look right through this and change the color of Pastor Nate to whatever color you're holding. Mr. Mike didn't get it, only Amelia's doing it. So, Pastor Nate will know you guys are getting antsy if he looks out and sees a sea of this, okay? All right, thank you so much for joining us, and I look forward to seeing more kids next week. Thank you, Mr. Mike. I kind of feel like we all need maybe all of those. I, I could use that cue consistently, like, this is not working, you know? No. <laughs> it's good. Right, exactly. Red light, green light. Can we keep going? Well, I love one of the yeah one of the things we've been talking about as we kind of move forward in this in this season is uh, if we come out on the other side of all of this exact doing exactly the same things in exactly the same way then we're doing it wrong right we've got to figure out a, a different and maybe even I think better way forward uh, I think the the feel this is different but it still feels like Birchridge right I mean it's like the the room the, the chairs are spread out I mean it's like this is different and yet and yet we are. Uh, we are the community that God has called us to be, and that's a beautiful thing. The other thing I think is, is so exciting for the way this is going to play out is this approach in this season, I think, is going to transform uh, our, our conversations we have with our kids when we're driving home because it's like, well, what were your two words, right? What is it that you thought about when, you know, when Pastor Nate was talking about that word or that question that came up, the, the handout that, that uh, we're working through with the kids, I think is going to uh, create an opportunity for all sorts of good conversation moving forward. So I think that's, uh, that's going to be really, really great. So it's not just that we're trying to do exactly the same thing. But we're taking new opportunities and, and trying to move forward in that way. And so that's a beautiful thing. We are continuing this week in uh, the um, Jesus Stories series. So this is, uh, the, the whole framework for this idea is that, that Jesus knows that people love stories. Like stories are way more interesting than just getting like a list of facts. And so Jesus loves people. He wants people to hear him and be able to apply what he's talking about. And so he told stories. And so here we are now 2,000 years later, leaning in, listening, and saying, what is it that, that these stories mean for us? What is it that God's trying to teach us through, through what he spoke through Jesus when, when Jesus was walking this earth? And that we have an opportunity to not only find our stories in the, in the big story of God, but then when Jesus says, well, this is a hard truth, or this is a thing that is going to take some reflection lean in, let me tell you a story, let me help you understand what this looks like. The, the story that we're looking at this morning is often talked about as the, as the parable of the talents, right, or the parable of the investment. It's the, in the translation we're using, the New International Version, it's the bags of gold, right? So to get a sense of the, kind of, of the kind of investment, the magnitude of the investment that was made. But before we get there, I can, I'm already, every time I say investment, I've got this condition where the kids are like checking off that word, that they're like circling it or whatever, but... Um, Investment, investment, investment. There you go. <laughs> um, but the, the idea 
of, of this, it really is before you talk about the return of the investment, before you talk about the outcome, before you talk all about those things, we have to deal with the issue of comparison. We have to deal with the issue of, as this story starts out, we're going to get to it in a second, but the reality is that, that, that there was a distribution of resources to three different servants by this master. And, and, and there's this tendency to say, well, I didn't get the same thing that that other person got. And so we're in this season. I don't know if you guys have noticed this. It's, it's been an interesting reality that um, in this, the last couple of months, as, as we've kind of all been shut down and locked down and whatever other terminology we want to use for it, the window in which we have viewed the world has gotten very, very small, hasn't it? That, that basically the way we have interacted with each other, the way that we have seen what's going on in other people's world is through Facebook or Instagram, through some sort of social media thing or texts or, or whatever, but the, but the world has gone from kind of this like whole thing to this very, very small window. And it's, it's not always even the most accurate picture, right? So our family, we've gone through this. It's kind of like, here's the inside story. Um, we, we've posted pictures. We've talked about stuff that we've done that's been really fun. We've, you know, we've done some hiking. We've done some, some of those kinds of things. But, um, but the reality is there's also moments where, uh, where like, we've been around the dinner table and one of our daughters is kind of like her head down and like, what's going on? And she's like, I just don't want to only see you guys anymore. <laughs> and then tears, right? Because, and, and then she looks around and we're all going, yeah, we love you. We just don't love just you. Yeah, we actually do need other people around us. We do need to, to, to spend time. And it was like that breakdown and breakthrough moment. But we're not like, you don't tend to put those kinds of things on Facebook, right? You don't tend to, to kind of like publish those. So if you looked at just our, like the, the quarantine for the Lamb family, it's been, wow, that looks like beautiful sunrises and sunsets and road trips to Anchorage and all that kind of stuff. And that's great. Um, but there's also the hard moments too, right? So we can't compare can't compare what we experience or what we see, just that one glimpse with, with what everybody else is experiencing. So we have this tendency to compare, right? We have this tendency to compare um, with other people, maybe with what we perceive has been placed in their hands or what's been invested in them or entrusted to them. Um, we also have a tendency to compare other people's seasons with the season that we're in. Saying so, so it, it seems unfair that we're having to walk through all of this. So we look at historically and it's like, man, wouldn't it have been so much easier if, if we didn't have to face the things that we're facing? Right? If, if Bertridge, man, if we, could, if we could be able to gather together in complete freedom, we don't have to worry about can we give a high five or give a hug or can we wear a face mask or not wear a face mask? Can we, can we not have to preach to a camera for two months and then finally get to you know, come together again? But we look at this and we say it's not just about comparison. It has to be about more than comparison. And then Jesus speaks and he says this, starting in verse 14 of, of Matthew chapter 25. By the way, just to give a little bit of context, he's talking about the end times in this story. He's starting in this whole section of, of Matthew. He's talking about what the, what the end of the world is going to be like, which is if, if a story wasn't interesting enough, when, when God in human flesh starts to talk about what the end of the world is going to look like, what judgment's going to look like, the way it's all going to play out, then, then maybe that's worth leaning in, right? Even if you're not a story person, it's, it's worth saying, well, what did Jesus say it's all going to be like when it's all over, right? When it's all said and done. And he says this in verse 14, again, again, it will be like a man going on a journey, right, who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one, he gave five bags of gold, to another, two bags, and to another, one bag, each according to his ability. And then he went on his journey, 
right? So, so, so Jesus is speaking to people who are expecting or trying to understand what the end of the world is going to be like. Then Matthew, as he's writing this, kind of his letter to his church, he's writing to a people to encourage them in the midst of persecution, in the midst of things going from bad to worse, and they're trying to figure out the way forward. And Matthew is, is writing the, the, the words of Jesus as an encouragement to a church that's going through difficult times, which for us, we can, we can understand that, right? We can lean in and we can say, look, there's a lot about what we're experiencing now that would maybe cause us to question the same kinds of things that the people who would have heard this initially would question, right? These are people who have been wondering about, are all the signs present, right? Is, is, this, is this really the end of it? Because, you know, for them, 2,000 years ago, things weren't going well. For us, we'd like a do-over of 2020, right? This has not been, a, like, not been a great start. But he says this, as the story continues, Jesus continues to tell the story. He says, to the one, uh, or the man who had received, in verse 16, the man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. We're seeing right now there's going to be some paths that diverge as, as, this, as, this, story, as this story plays out. And the first one is that, that this man received the bags of gold, right? That's, that's, that's he actually took possession of and then put to work. It's not just that it was present with him, but he actually took hold of, that he, that he grabbed onto, and then he put, says, his money to work which is kind of a radical statement because it's not really his money. It's this money that's been entrusted to him by his master. And yet there's this kind of like radical sense of ownership, this, this deep sense of responsibility with what's been placed in his hands so much so that it's as if he possessed it himself, right? This investment that's been made, this thing that's been entrusted to him, he receives and then he puts his money to work and gained five bags more. So also, verse 17, the one with two bags of gold gained two more. Right, but then the one who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Right? There's, there's, there's two different ways of approaching this thing. The, the, the five bags of gold and the two bags of gold approached the, the issue and the problem in the same kind of way. And I think what they were doing probably is, is, is probably not comparing themselves to other people, right? to what had been received by others. That, that the man with five bags of, of gold looks and says, the master has asked me to do something with this, and so I'm going to receive it, and I'm going to put it to work. I'm going to do what the master expected me to do with this. And then the guy who has two bags of gold, he, he, he receives it also, puts it to work, and, and doubles the return, or, or doubles the, the resources that the master had placed in his hands. And then you have the guy with one bag of gold, and I think this is where the comparison kicks in. Right? This is where it actually makes a difference, because I don't think the second servant was playing the comparison game because if he was, he'd be saying, look, I'm actually way closer to the one bag of gold than I am to the five bags of gold, right? That, that it's not even the same increment. It's, 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 like, the, it's like, what, two and a half times the, the investment that was given to the, the five, or to the two bag guy, the, the five bag guy received. And it's like, he's way more similar to the investment that the, bag of, uh, the one bag of gold servant received. So if he was playing comparison, he would say, well, well the expectations are low, or you know, he got, the, the master must see me more like the one bad guy than the five bad guy, and so I'm just going to kind of like operate in that way. Where we see the comparison game become toxic is when the one bag of gold servant, which first of all is not a small amount, I don't care what economy you're in, a bag of gold is a bag of gold, right? That's a significant investment. Where comparison kicked in is where the one guy received his one bag of gold and he looked at it, and then he looked at the other hands, right? It doesn't say it specifically in the story, but there's a sense that he is playing this comparison game where he's looking and saying, 
So there must be a low bar for me, right? Or my job must be to hang on to what I have. I have less. And so he's going into the scarcity mentality instead of an abundance mentality and, and looking and saying, so how do I just hold on to what I have? That the stories begin to diver, diverge once, once the comparison trap kicks in. And so then after a long time, right, starting in verse 19, after a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. Remember, this is Matthew writing to a a people who were waiting for the return, right? Waiting for the end of their persecution, waiting for things to get better. This is Jesus speaking to people, telling a story and saying, so so this is what it's going to be like. And he says, after a long time, right? Not after a a moment, not after when it's convenient for you, not when you're done wrestling and when you're done holding on and when you're done striving. It's after a long time. It's Jesus saying, look, I, I told you it was going to take a while, right? I didn't say I was coming back right away. Matthew encouraging his, his, his tribe, saying, look, it's going to be a long time. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. And the man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. And then the master turns and, and replies to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you, in char- <clears throat> put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. And then the, the man with two bags of gold comes and he says, Master, you have entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. And his master replied in the same way, uh, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. You look and the, the, the common response, the common word is, is you entrusted me with this investment. You entrusted me with resources. And then, and then here's the return that you received. But then the, the, the story begins to change with the third servant, right? The story begins to change. It says, then the man who had received one bag of gold came. And this is the moment when I start to, to like picture the reality of the story. You've got these guys and I'm sure he's watching what's happening saying, you know what, maybe, I, maybe after this long time, I maybe have made a mistake, right? That, that these other two guys did something, and I've taken a risk by, by just burying the bag of gold that was given to me. And so he's been watching, I think, probably the, the reaction that the master has made. And then he comes with his, the one bag of gold, and he has dug it back up again by this point. He walks up, and he comes back to the master, and he says, Master, I knew that you were a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, right? Fear makes us do crazy things. So I was afraid and I went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you, right? Not really even taking ownership of it, just basically returning back to the master what, what he had received. That it starts, the conversation, you can start to see the threads of where the trouble's coming from because he moves from, instead of having a mentality of entrustment, of entrustment of being entrusted, he starts to talk immediately with excuses, right? He's actually spending his time and his energy not working to to get a return for the master, but to come up with the best excuses that he can come up with so that when the master returns, he feels more confident to stand in front of the master. And then the moment of reckoning comes and the master says this, uh, you wicked, lazy servant, you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit in the, with the banker so that when I returned, I would at least have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has 10 bags. For whoever has will be given more and they will have an abundance. And whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
right? Jesus isn't talking about poverty and, and, and abundance. He's not talking about the, that even if we have like a little bit that they're gonna ta- it's going to be taken from us. He's, he's talking about the return. Right? He's talking about what, ha- what has been done with what's been placed in someone's hands. And he speaks of this idea of good and faithful, right? That, 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 that there is a bullseye, that there is a process that, that he's calling us to, to operate within. He says, well done, good and faithful servant. Well done, good and faithful. And so we look at this and we say, so, so if good and faithful is the bullseye, right? If we want to stand before God with confidence, may, may it not be based on our excuses, right? May it not be that we've come up with the best reasons for not having done what God has asked us to do. May it be that, that we're, we're standing before him and chasing after what he's called us for because we're chasing after good and faithful, right? So what does it look like to, to hit that bullseye, to have that sort of outcome? The good news is actually that that good and faithful have nothing to do with comparison, right? It's not better, right? Better servant than other servants. It's not, you know, uh, more good or, 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 or more faithful. It's, it's, it's not comparison. It's, it's the quality of character and the, and, the, and the results and the response to what has been placed in their hands. So it's not comparison. We turn it into comparison, but the reality is it's, it's about character. It's about the content of, of who we are. So in this story, there's these, these two different ways of knowing. You talk about what does a good servant look like? If that's the bullseye, then we want to hit it, right? Then, then what's that actually look like? There's, there's two different ways of knowing the master. The first is, is to know about the master. And this is what the third servant got wrong because he stopped with just knowing about the master. He had a certain list of, of characteristics in his mind that, well, this is who the master is. And so now that I understand that, then I'm just going to use that as the lens to view everything else through. And so you have this way of knowing about the master without the, the other way to, to know is to know the master, right? To have been in relationship with the master, to understand what makes the master tick, to understand what, what the master would value and how he would, how he would go about operating with, with what's been placed in, in the hands of the servant. To not just know about the master. And this is when the master starts to get frustrated really with the, first, or with the third servant is when he's like, but you know about me. You know that I'm a hard man. You know all these things are true, but, but you, you responded in fear and you didn't do what I would have done. So there's these two different responses. There's the, the knowing about the master leads to fear, right? That, that, that everything that was done by that servant was done out of a spirit of fear, saying, well, I just have to hold on to what I have. I couldn't bear, I couldn't bear to take a risk on this because, because the master is a hard man and if I, if I fail, then I'm, in, then I'm deep tr- in deep trouble. And the master is saying, you don't know me. Right? You don't know my heart. You don't understand the, 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 what drives me and, and what I care about. The knowing about leads to fear. The knowing leads to being more like the master. Right? That, that all the things that he's describing, that, that there is this return on the investment. The only way that we can be like the master is to spend time with the master. Right? The only way that we're going to get there, the only way that we're going to understand the master really, to really know the master, to really know anybody, is to spend time with them. Right? That's part of the value of, of being able to gather together again is, is that, is that we're, we're together and it just, changes, it, it just changes. It feels different to know and to be together, right? to spend time with the master. We, we begin to find out what the master cares about and, and how the master operates and it begins to, to rub off on us so that so we begin to operate and, 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 and approach life in the same kind of way. By the way, this is called, when we apply that process to Jesus, it's, it's called discipleship. 
It's, it's where we become more and more and more like the one who's inviting us to take the next step forward. Alan Hirsch, uh, in talking about discipleship, says this, that to understand what it means to be a disciple or what discipleship looks like, it's very simple. He says it's, it's doing the same sorts of things that Jesus did for the same sorts of reasons that Jesus did them, right? So in other words, Jesus loved people, so we love people. And, and Jesus responded to people in certain ways, and so we respond to people in certain ways, not because we've made a checklist of things that has become this legalistic, we're going to do these things and we're going to check this list, but, but our hearts have been transformed so that we operate, that we react in the same way that, that Jesus would have reacted when he saw the needs in front of him. This is what discipleship looks like. But the good news, the good news is, is this story is about more than just good, because that would be dangerous, right? If it was just about well done, good servant then we would start to say, well, the, the goal is just kind of like our status as a good servant. It would be, be, you begin to start to talk about things like, well, that just means I need to be a good guy, right? I just need to, to, to be good. Or, or we would run into questions like, well, well, in terms of like content of good, am I good enough? Do I measure up? Have I, have I placed enough things on the scale so that when I stand before God that I can stand before him in confidence? So we start to, to run into these kinds of troubles that, that, we start to recognize that there is a bullseye to be a good servant, but then there's also an outcome that's faithful, right? That it's, it's the faithful response, that it's, it's not just good, but it's what does good actually look like when it's applied to the world around us, and that's what faithful looks like. What, is good, what, what does it look like when we apply good to, to what's been entrusted to us, that, that it becomes a faithful investment of, of what has been placed in our hands? And so faithful, this outcome, it, it, it starts with these two different mentalities. One is, is the excuses mentality, right? This is what we saw with the third servant when it's like, well, I'm just going to have to spend my time figuring out the excuses because I can't even imagine that, that I could win. I can't even imagine that what's on the other side of this tension, that what's on the other side of everything else is, is in any way better than what is currently happening. And so the only way that I can bridge that gap between what should be and what is is, is through making excuses, the other, the other mentality is the, is the entrusted mentality. Saying, look, there's a gap, right? There's a gap between where I am and, and where I'm going. There's a gap between, between these things, and the way that I'm going to fill that is by recognizing that God has placed in me or God has placed in my life things that, that should have a return, and so I'm going to take it as, as an entrusted mentality. Instead of bridging that gap for my own sake with, with excuses, I'm going to bridge that gap with being like the kind of person who understands what's been entrusted to them. The reality is it's, it's hard work either way, right? Coming up with kind of like the, the, the absolutely ironclad list of excuses is, is difficult work. Coming up with the, what we do in response to the entrust, what has been entrusted to us is work too. So the question is, what kind of work do we want to do? What kind, of, what kind of work is it that we want to define our lives? Because it's going to be work either way. And so the key really is that idea of investment. That key really is understanding that, that there is an investment from the master. That the master hasn't just come to his servants and say, out of nothing, double these resources or come up with five bags of gold or two bags of gold or one bag of gold with no resources placed in your hands. That the master has invested. That there is an investment from the master. And then there's also an investment for the master, right? which feels risky. Right, which feels terrifying to recognize that, that, that when something has been placed in our hands, that to put it to work means that we actually have to loosen our grip on it. Right? That, that what feels safe is to find a hole and bury it and say, we're not going to do anything with this because it's been entrusted to me and I don't want to take any chance of losing it. 
but to actually put to work what's been put in us. It means that there's going to be an investment process. It feels risky, right? It feels so risky until we realize that the risk has already been taken by the master, right? Any risk that we feel, the master's investment was much riskier, right? He entrusted it to us, entrusted it to people, that the master has already made a riskier investment. And so this is where courage kicks in. This is where it, it, it says we have to understand the master well enough to know what his response is going to be, that, that, that if it's been entrusted to us and he's guiding us and he's leading us, then, then we should be open-handed, that we should put to work what's been put in our hands. But it requires courage because the reality, if you picture this, if you picture the way the story has played out, there is a moment. There is a moment in this story where the one bag servant with his bag of gold buried in a hole in the ground on paper looked better than those who had, who had put their money to work, right? Because in terms of liquid assets, in terms of what they actually had available to them on paper, bef- between somewhere in that, in that time between investment and return, the, the man with one bag of gold buried in a hole on paper looked better, right? And that takes courage when we start to put stuff to work, when we start to put ourselves out there, when we start to, to, to kind of like reach and try and, 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 and do these kinds of things, to, to take that kind of risk that, that it, 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 it takes courage to hold the line when we're starting to look around saying, maybe I should have just buried this in a hole, right? Maybe I should have just held on to it for all it's worth and, and taken whatever lumps and just worked on the excuses instead of being entrusted because this feels risky and I don't want to be empty-handed on the, at, at the end of, of all this. I don't, I don't want to be this unfaithful, unworthy servant. So there's this moment when the one-bag servant looked better on paper, but the story wasn't over in that moment, right? You keep going. You stay courageous. You stay the course. And so that's the outcome. But wrapped up in this story is, as Jesus describes this master's response, he says, well done, good and faithful service. Enter into the happiness or enter into the joy of the master, right? That, that there is fruit of the process. There is fruit on the other side of this that, that's worth the work, that's worth the investment, that's, that's worth us taking a different kind of mentality. That on the other side of all of this, we start to realize that God has invested in us, not just blindly, but for a purpose. And so the fruit of the process is purpose, well, the fruit of the process is, is that we're now busier, right? That there's more that's been entrusted to us, that, 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 that God begins to do more and more and more, that we become more and more busy, but we're happy. Does that make sense? That we're, that we're connected with the master. The, the reality is the process. If we shortcut the process and we just chase happy, we're never going to get there. But Jesus seems to be describing this, this process that, that if we're just simply trying to avoid pain or avoid risk, we're not going to get to where God is inviting us to be that we can find joy in the many things, right? In the, all the things that, and in some ways it almost feels unfair where it's like, wait, I was faithful. I was faithful with the few things. Now I've got to be faithful with the many things. I mean, this, this just keeps getting more and more difficult, right? It's like, God, if you could please stop trusting me, this would be a lot, the whole thing would be a whole lot easier. But when we're connected with the master, when we realize that, that the investment has a purpose, that we get to be on the, have a front row seat, we're on the front lines of, of God doing extraordinary things, then, then it's worth the work, it's worth the risk, it's worth the busyness that comes with that. The good news in this moment for us to just kind of like, if we're writing notes in this, to, to say that, that it's good for us to remember that the master wants us to be happy. That that's actually the outcome. The outcome isn't just, well, the master got this, got this great return on his investment, that, that the master actually cares about the happiness of the servant. That that's the actual goal of the whole thing, that first of all, there is a return, that it does make a difference, but, but he says, enter into the joy of your master, enter into the happiness of your master. The good news is the master wants us to be happy, but, 
He wants it to be his version of happy, not whatever version we would that would be a lesser version. He wants to, be, wants to transform what we would see as happy along the way. Good, faithful, and happy. Right? The, the order matters. The process matters because it's, it's content of character. To be a good servant right? It begins to, to, to align us with the, with the master. To be faithful says we understand that we've been entrusted with things and we're supposed to put it to work, that we're not just going to bury it in a hole, but we're going to do what God has asked us to do. And then on the other side of that is the joy of the master. The order matters. If we just chase happy, we're never going to see the fruit of what God is trying to do in our lives. Good, faithful, and happy. Talk of good. Maybe it's time that we spend some time getting to know the master, right? Spending some time with him, giving him, giving him the room to work in our lives. Maybe for some of us, we've had, we have this tendency to look at what's been placed in other people's hands or we look at what's in our hands and, and we say, well, it just doesn't seem like that's quite enough or that's gonna be inadequate for what, what it seems like is ahead of me. Maybe we need to, to learn to fix our eyes on the master, on what he's doing, where he's going to follow after him instead of what's been placed in our, just in our hands or just in other people's hands. Because comparison is deceitful, right? Comparison yields this, this sense of fear. It, 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 it lies to us. One of the lessons that I have learned on the journey, and I think this is probably not just true for me, I'm guessing it's true for you too, is that, is that we tend to, when we look at other people's lives, when we look at what seems to have been entrusted to other people, is that we, we may find ourselves comparing our few things moment with someone else's many things moment. Does that make sense? Where we don't know the journey, we don't know what God has been doing in their lives, we don't know what, has, what it has taken for them to get to where they are. All we know is we look and we say, well, it looks like they've been entrusted with more. Look at the fruit, look at, the, like, look at what has been happening in their lives. It's obvious, or at least in our minds, we're like, that must mean that God cares more about them or God likes them or trusts them more than he trusts me. And it's likely, it's likely in that moment that, that we're actually comparing, we're comparing our faithful in the few things moment with, with someone else's many things moment. We have to learn to trust the master. We have to learn to trust the process, which looks like faithfulness, right? Which looks like us saying, what is it that, that it would take for us to, to shift? I mean, we could do this, we could do this today to shift from an excuses mindset to an entrusted mindset, to just capture those moments when we're like, this is me making an excuse, right? This is me making an excuse to God or making an excuse to myself as to why I'm not doing what, what God has, has asked me to do or what God has placed in front of me or why I haven't put to work what God has invested in me. That we could take this, we could get before God and say, God, would you just, would you make me aware of it? We could ask somebody else to, to hold us accountable to this, to say, what does it look like to, to, to draw that out and say, I want to get over the excuses and start to understand what an entrusted mentality looks like. And that leads to happiness, right? That's a promise that I, it's not me making that promise. That's Jesus telling a story about what this actually looks like. That happy on the other side of this process means that we find joy in working with the master, right? That we're not just trying to keep the master happy, but we're working with the master. May it be said of us, may it be said of us as a people, well done, my good and faithful servant. Come and share in your master's happiness. That statement, that phrase is worth the pain of the process, I promise. May it be true.